If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. As most of you know, I am also the CEO of FutureCon Events, and we put on cybersecurity conferences all over North America. And last night, I just got home from Omaha, Nebraska. And let me tell you about Omaha. It was amazing. We had a packed house. It was literally standing room only. Um, I had great attendees out there. It is so fun to go to some of these Midwest events because um, we just get the best people that come out to see us. So Thank you for all the people out in Omaha for supporting our event, and we can't wait to be back there next year. We are, um, me and my team, a few of us, we're heading out to RSA out in San Francisco on Monday. We're super excited about that. We just go out there really just to see all of our sponsors and our speakers and all of our friends. It's um, nothing we have to do, which is a nice break for us. We're actually... um, we are hosting a bourbon tasting at the Chieftain Irish Pub next Wednesday night over by the Moscone Center. So if anybody is interested in attending our bourbon tasting, it's going to be a ton of fun. We have our bourbon host pops that many of you all have met at some of our private bourbon tastings. And we have the VPC so uh, Ken Foster from Fleet Corps. They are conducting the tastings at that event and it'll be a fun time. So just DM me if you um, would like the code to come. We'd love to have you um, at our event and we'd love to see you. The theme at RSA this year is Stay Stronger, which really ties into our topic today. Today, we're going to talk about the um, importance of cybersecurity training, which goes right along with everything FutureCon is about. Uh, My guest today, she's going to be on our panel at our Philadelphia event, which we're going to be in Philadelphia on May 6th. So if you're in the Philly area, check out our that event at futureconevents.com. Chances are, if you're not in Philly, we probably are coming to a city near you soon. So today, um, my guest is Dr. Deli Bancoli. Um, welcome to the show. Did I say your name right, Deli? Welcome to the show. Did I say your last name right? We went over that. Yes, you did. Thank you so much. And yes, you said my name. Perfect. Crystal clear. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. It's so great to see you and have you on the show. Um, We met, um, I think it was like the first year of FutureCon out in D.C. when we had um, Dr. Dr. I just went blank. I know. I can't think of her name either. I know. I just thought of it right (laughs) before the show. Well, she used to be the CISO at the White House. And um, that's just kind of her code name. I'll think of yes. it before we before we uh, <laughs> wrap up the show. But that yes. was uh, way back in the beginning, way before COVID. And um, saw you recently out at DC, and we yes. had a really p- packed event out in DC, and that was a great event too. So we're excited to have you on the panel in Philadelphia. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I I love all your events. They're just very personable. Lots of people who want to, you know make sure that the cybersecurity field is pushed forward, protected. So I'm, 
you know, I'm, I'm very, very, very excited about Philadelphia. Well, well, that's awesome. And Philly, they are, we have the buy-in of all the nonprofits there. And our keynote speaker has been telling us that there is a buzz on the street about us coming to Philly. So we're super excited Ooh. to be at uh, that that event. It was Dr. J, my team, my team, yes! Dr. J, because it's a, Alyssa and I'm not even, it's like Abdul, uh, I think she's working actually for MasterCard now. And doing wow. big things over at MasterCard, so she's yeah. she's a rock star, another female yeah. rock star in the industry. So, um, so tell us about you, and you know, you. How long have you been at the Center of Employment Opportunities? How long have you been there? Um, I've been there for under a year. <laughs> okay, because where were you when I first met you? Who were you working for then? Yeah, so when you first met me, I was working at Customer Value Partners. Um, I was their senior manager of compliance and security. Okay. And now what are you doing for the Center of Employment Opportunities? Tell us a little bit. Well, before we even jump into that, um, yeah. one of the things I love to do with my guests is just kind of tell us your story and how you got into cybersecurity. Yeah. And, you know, wow. it, especially I love hearing from women because, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years and a long time ago, we would see maybe 2% of women in the audience. I can't say it's gotten, you know, now we're probably at about 20%, but, um, I, you know, so I yeah. love talking to women in cyber. So tell us a little bit of yeah. how, how you got in this industry. Absolutely. It is a love story. So, um, so of course, finished high school. I'm going to make it as brief as possible. But you don't have to. We have okay. lots of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So finished high school, wanted to go to, you know, of course, wanted to go to college and I could not decide what I wanted to major in. Um, so uh, just to let you guys know, I'm a first generation um, American Nigerian or Nigerian American. My parents, you know, um, migrated to the United States from Nigeria. So growing up in a strict household, you know, my mom at the time was like, well, you can pick either one of two things. You can pick either being a nurse because she was a nurse. Mm, look at that. Or you can do computers, you know, because they heard that that was a you know great field to grow in and grow. So me, I don't like to see pain. I don't like to see blood, I, you know. So I'm like, computers it is. So got my bachelor's degree in computer networking. So of course, now we're done with school. Now throughout school, please note that I did work as well. However, when I finished my bachelor's degree in computer networking, um, I was working in the finance. So think, you know, accounts payable, receivable you know, invoicing, all that great stuff, customer service. And so, but I had graduated with the four-year degree. So I'm like, oh no, we're going to find a job in IT. Where it's happening, whether it kills me, we're going to find this. We spent four years learning about token rings and network protocols and oh no, we're doing something. So eager and with that drive, I started going to different, um, you know, job fairs. And that's how I landed my first gig in a network operations center. So I was my first, I would say my first intro into the cybersecurity field is working in a NOC known as the network operations center. Worked in a NOC. Um, it was a very interesting time because, you know, when you work in a NOC, it's a very heavily technical position. So, you know, I monitored network utilizing various intrusion detection systems. We did incident um, response and reporting. We worked with varying cert teams. A couple of us doing this, I hated it. I said, "What is this? <laughs> Why? What? <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh! 
jobs because when you work in the knock, you're working 10 to 12 hours shift. That's a, this cannot be my life. I'm looking at a computer. Now, as you can tell, I'm a people person. Love working with people. Different backgrounds, different fields. I'm on it. That's me. That's my love language. So, you know, I decided that, you know what? I'm going to make lemonade out of lemons and I'm going to make the best of this. This is my first, you know, formal IT job right out of college. So we're going to make the best of it. So um, at that time, I noticed that a lot of staff who came into work in an op were mostly entry level. We did not have any type of formal training program. Look at that, how, how it feeds into today's topic. And um, so, and, and I'm sitting there like the only training program that they had was to sit a junior person, again, entry level, next to somebody who was a senior person who had been there for a year longer. And the staff, the junior you know, person had to take a pen and a piece of paper and take notes. That was the training program. You know, if this, if, if the, the staff, the senior member clicked on this, that's what I need to click on too. If you reported this incident, that's what I need to report too. And I'm just like, oh yeah, this math is not mathing. So I start to document everything. I start to document all our intrusion detection system tools. I started to talk to our team about how to communicate with one another. I started searching out different um, training, you know, avenues. The training budget was not as robust. So we had to find free you know, free training. Um, and that's pretty much how I got into cyber, start documenting everything, you know, and now I was happy. So now I was just like, yes. Yeah. So mind you, I was doing my job, you know, my, you know, 10 hour, 10 to 12 hour knock duties. But on top of it, just to make sure I get through the day, I was now bouncing out, documenting, talking to people. Yes, this is how I use this tool. It correlates, you know, that feeds. And while doing that, my boss at the time said, you know, Delhi, there's a field called, and I don't know if anybody out there remember this, it's called certification and accreditation. So this is my official introduction to the information security field. We called it certification and accreditation. So my boss at the time at the knock was like, yeah, there's a field called certification and accreditation and you will be perfect at it. And I'm like, wait, what I'm doing for fun? It's a real job. Oh, oh, let's get it. <laughs> that is so, that, that's so funny. Were you one of the only? Um, were there other females? Or I mean, you took the you took the reign by the. I mean, that's awesome that you just. Yes, I'm yes, sure back so then was, the pay probably wasn't that great, so you really no. had to, you know, to to have that kind of drive is amazing. Correct. The pay was, so you're co absolutely correct, Kim. The pay was not that great, but the drive, you know, like I said, mixed with, you know, getting a degree and wanting to work in that field because I have wasted. Oh, excuse me. And it was going to work for me. Um, but yeah, it was equal number on um, both men, you know, and women, but it was a more of a highly technical role. So yeah. So then you left the knock and sorry, Deli, we're having a little bit, your, your internet freezes up a tiny bit, but, um, Hopefully that was just a little glitch, but um, you let, so you leave the knock now, do, do they, where did you go from there? Um, and were you always in DC? Is that where you grew up? Yes, I was always in DC. So I grew up in Maryland, um, okay. Prince George's County, Maryland. you know, that's a hop skip away from DC right. or Virginia. Yes. So most of my roles have always been in the DC area. Um, so yeah, so I left the knock, mind you, please note, I did work in the knock for uh, almost three years and, you know, started updating my resume with the things that I did in the knock, not knowing that I was doing, you know, certification accreditation type roles, not knowing that I was doing cybersecurity. And there was a man who gave me a chance. I will never forget Mark Logalbo. I know I have to say his name. I have to put him on the spot, 
but he was the individual that gave me my first chance of being a junior certification and accreditation analyst. That's awesome. I think we can always remember the first person that gave us that chance. But yes. um, I just wanted to do a shout out to Harvey, Harvey New News. He is out of Houston and he um, is big into privacy and um, he is a uh, he, he did run their ice soccer chapter, but he's a big uh, supporter of our event. So thanks, Harvey. It won't be long before we're back to Houston and we'll see Harvey out in Houston. So um, so then you go to, so so then you, you finally kind of get your start and now let's yes. jumpstart to where we are now. What exactly, <laughs> um, first tell us a little bit, because I guess, you know, being in DC, there's a world of opportunities out there. So you could go any given direction out in DC. So yes. um, how did you, you know, end up taking this job at the Center for Employment Opportunities and tell us a little bit about what they are doing. Absolutely. Oh, these are great questions, Kim. You're going to have me talking well over the hour, but okay. Good, that's um, what we want. <laughs> So, yeah, so, um, you know, so fast forward to today. So please note, I have been in the cybersecurity industry going on 23 years. I have had the utmost pleasure and opportunity to serve in every kind of role that cybersecurity entails. I've been an engineer, hands-on technical solutions. I've been a junior cybersecurity analyst, mid, senior, manager, senior manager, and now up to my role as the director of IT security at CEO. Now, um, I got this role because um, with my background, 20 of those years were served in government consulting or government contracting. So I am very appreciative because the government does not. So if you want to jump into government contracting, a, they will teach you and it will stick for the rest of your life. Um, so I sell that to say, you know, 20 years. So for a lot of people who know you know, about government contracting. It's, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a hustle, you know, hustle and bustle. Like, you know, you start on a contract, it's supposed to be a two-year contract, it ends in one year, or it's a 10-year contract, it ends in five years, or it's a, there's once where I, I started a two-year contract and it ended in six months, you know, the task has ended, you know, due to whatever the limitations that presented itself. So just imagine doing 20 years of that. So I will say, you know, I got exposed to different environments, um, different departments. I mean, think Department of Transportation, um, Social Security Administration, Department of Labor. I've, I've been to CMS, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. I can go on and on. So I will say that consulting or contracting, you know, whichever word you choose, um, has really shown me um, how to hit the ground running, how to adapt quickly. Um, so with that, you know, I'm like, after 20 years, I'm like, you know what, I've, I've paid my dues. Um, you know, I now want to go into more um, of a non-contracting industry so that, you know, I can settle down and grow roots. You know, I do have aspirations to continue to grow within the cybersecurity realm. So fast forward, that's how I ended up at Center for employment opportunities. And what we do at CEO, our mission, um, it also ties in with what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, we provide employment services to individuals who have recently returned home from incarceration. So, you know, reintroducing them, training them, you know, all the stuff, you know, that, that comes with it. Well, that's pretty amazing. And um, you guys are based out of New York or- yes. Yes, headquarters is in New York. But and how in... big is how big is the company? 
Oh, so we're all over the United States. We're at about 650 employees at the okay. moment. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and um, so what are you primarily in your role? What are you doing there? Yes. Yeah, so pretty much everything cybersecurity um, from our policies, ensuring that our you know policies, procedures are documented, um, cybersecurity training, incident response, um, you know, working with vendors to ensure that we have penetration testing. Um, so, you know, we, because <laughs> the cybersecurity program is pretty high level, you know, cybersecurity is in everything. So we're not just siloed in the background and just popping up whenever we have a deliverable or a task assigned to us. I'm, I work with program management. I work with clientele services. I work with finance. Um, so just making sure that at every level and at every department of our organization, we are cybersecurity sound. And so how many people do you have on your team? Um, we, I'm, we're going on about 15 people. Okay. So you're, you're nationally, um, you're nationally doing the training of the whole organization? Yes. Um, so um, when we talk about training, we're talking about role-based training. So the whole organization. So based on your role. So I grew up with the NIST family. So NIST 853. I knew NIST when it was 823. <laughs> For those of you out there who are cheering us like, oh my gosh, I remember we're 800. I'm sorry, I said 823. 826. For, so for my veterans out there, um, you know, who know 826, that's where I was brought up on. So, you know, now we have the 853. So, yeah, so I oversee our role-based training. So ensuring that um, um, staff that has, you know, significant um, exposure to PII, personal identifiable information, make sure that they're trained right to ensure you know, safeguard measures. Um, I also train our whole organization um, on annual security awareness, you know, and, and when you think of security awareness, you can think of it all, secure password, multi-factor, you know, authentication, et cetera, et cetera. So even though the Center of Employment Opportunities, so they're, they're placing, they're helping people find jobs. You're not really, you know, dealing with the candidates. You're dealing with the, the staff. In Internal staff, correct. Because if somebody's coming out, anybody that was incarcerated, I mean, you're not like whoever they go to work for is where they're going to get their training from. I would imagine you guys are just prepping them for yes. opportunities. Them. Re yes. Resume prep, interview prep. Yes. And, you know, with that comes, you know, with, with their information comes sensitive data, right? Well, that that's we where I was going to get to. Where <laughs> are, where is the weakest link? Where do you find like your, what, what keeps you up at night of, I got to get this done. This is, this is really, you know, yes. becoming a little scary. So, and that's why the importance of training comes in. You know, um, I have been privileged to see, like I said, um, cybersecurity from, you know, when I first entered 23 years ago, we met, we went from manual processes to now varying automated processes. And what keeps me up at night is ensuring that staff know what to do. We deal with a lot of sensitive information, addresses, phone numbers, different other factors that if an employee, you know, does the wrong thing, it could be, um, catastrophic for organization. So training, you know, um, if you have a security incident, let's say, so as an example, I lost my corporate laptop, you know, who do you report it to? 
when do you report it? <laughs> you know, because there is, I'm sure there is PII data on that laptop that you lost. You know, you don't wait for three days. Um, so yeah, I, I was talking, I was giving an example of incident response. So let's say a staff member loses their corporate laptop, you know, um, you know, stressing the fact that we have report times, you have to report it Im immediately. So let's say you lose it on a Friday. No, you do not wait till Monday to report it, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's, so that's why I always say training is important. Some people just don't know. And I'm just using the, you know, reporting as an example. Some people just don't know. And yes, you can have policies and procedures, you know, documented rules, you know, documented standard operating procedures, employee handbooks, very necessary. Um, but what I've come to see is that everybody has different learning styles. So while you have some people that don't mind breaking open that, you know, that book, that procedure, that policy, there are others that need to be, you know, verbally taught. Hence why, you know, cybersecurity training program is very important. So that's what keeps me up at night. So this is kind of a turn in the corner a little bit, but, you know, what are, you, what are your thoughts about uh, chat GPT? And especially when you're with an organization that has to write so many policies and you're helping people with resumes and there is now this new avenue of doing things a lot quicker. A, are any of your employees worried about their jobs because of chat GPT? And what are your thoughts about chat GPT? So at a high level, I feel like any technology or automated services that come into play only enhances the manual processes that are still there. Um, so I say all that to say chat GPT is a phenomenal function. You know, I was, I, I met with my CIO the other day, you know, and I, and the words I described it were it's Google on steroids, mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just, you know, um, I personally, and this is just my point of view, I don't have any opposition to chat GPT. Um, you know, it's a, it's a cloud-based offering, um, and you do have to provide, you know, username and a password. Um, so the only concerns that have came up and that I've, again, spoken with my CIO with is that, you know, we have to now make a decision because um, right now it's free and it's publicly accessible. You know, do we want our employees to use their CEO, you know, email address to create that profile, um, you know, or do we want them to use their personal, you know, um, email addresses to create that account. And I state that to say LinkedIn is a phenomenal example. You know, LinkedIn is not a corporate system, right? It's not a corporate um, application. So even though I work as CEO, I have my LinkedIn account, that's linked to my personal account, you know, and whatever happens, happens. But, you know, as we're talking about And each, um, you know, the the thought of, let's say, our staff using the chat GPT features with their own, you know, person, I'm, I'm sorry, with their corporate email address, that, you know, that gives me a little bit of concern because, you know, let's say, knock on wood, because, you know, nothing is perfect and, you know, security incidents, it is what it is. Let's say they get hacked. So now they have access to our, um, um, to that email. Um, but yeah, but no, overall, no, I don't feel like ChatGPT is going to, you know, um, take their jobs away. You know, the staff that supports um, these um, people that were released from prison. I, I don't feel like, I just feel like it'll enhance it. And I think, I feel like ChatGPT is so new, you know, on the, you know, that people are talking about it. I have not 
had the opportunity or the time yet to go play with it. I can't wait to find the time because I think, you know, there's like, we're revamping our website. You know, I think there's great yeah. things that we can do to, you know, get our wording better on our website and just, you know, all kinds of opportunities. I don't know, you know, I've had some people on the show that feel like, you know, the bad actors that that's where, you know, we're going to have issues is, you know, what they're going to do with chat GPT, GPT. But um, yeah. I would just think it would be a great tool for you, especially when your your employees are trying to build resumes. But do you want your do you want your 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 pay, your the people that you're going to employ? You probably need them to learn how to build their own resume. And so now here's an easy out for them to get their resume built. And that, again, is probably, you know, um, just like it's going to do for students, how are people going to learn if we have an easy way out? True, true. And, you know, and in addition to that, you know, um, sensitive information. So, yes, you're using ChatGPT to build your resume or write your paper. Don't, you know, don't put your name and your home address and your cell phone number and your personal number, you know, because, again, the data that ChatGPT is ingesting it keeps it. <laughs> so, you know, you're looking for, you know, a better cover letter and you put it in there and it blurts out all, you know, this phenomenal co cover letter. You copy, you paste it and you go about your business. Well, even though you've deleted it in ChatGPT, no, it's it's in there for good. So, yeah. So, I mean, just like you said, it's a new technology and, you know, everything is to be determined. But, you know, we can do our best to stay as vigilant as possible. So, um, and I also know that ChatGPT is going to come out with a, um, you know, with a pay feature. So for instance, if corporate entities, you know, want to integrate it um, in their infrastructure. So that's something else that, you know, will will cross when that bridge gets. Well, there. yeah, of course, it's going to come out with a pay. It cannot stay free to the public forever. It's just, it's just too much of a hot commodity for them, for Microsoft to because it is, I, I is it, I, I believe it's a Microsoft tool, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not certain. I feel like it is Microsoft, but I don't, yeah, I don't know for sure. Yeah, well, if it's Microsoft, we all know that it's just a matter of time before you know. And and my guest that I had last week, we were talking about Chat GPT, and there's if you go to Bing. Um, which is like Google, you know, so so I think maybe they're trying to compete with Google. And um, I know there's features of chat GPT that you can go into Bing instead of going to Google. And um, I, I went on Bing, but I haven't gone any further to try to see what's out there. But there's stuff on there that says you can use chat GPT here. So it's very interesting the whole chat GPT, especially, you know, for, for companies, for policy and all the things that you guys are doing. And um, do you feel like it could better serve some of like your initiatives that you're trying to continue to enhance? Or um, I don't know, what do you think company, what do you think like, like NIST, what do you think they're going to do when there are, are even, analysts do you think they're going to use this tool when they're trying to stay ahead of what's happening in cybersecurity? Absolutely. Um, so yes and yes. So first, I definitely think that GPT will be very useful, um, you know, at the compliance level, policies, procedures, SOPs, they're all needed, they're all necessary. So oftentimes, or let me say sometimes, you know, there's some organizations that implement um, a new software and they don't have the correct documentation in place, you know, because we want to create 
an environment where less, and again, as another example, let's say we have an engineer that leaves, you know, the, the role goes to another organization. Now the knowledge transfer did not happen and now we don't know what to do. But, you know, now we have ChatGPT to assist with, you know, how do we use this tool? You know, it was implemented, but we don't know how to use it. Our engineer left. So in that retrospect, also in policy, development. That's where I believe a lot of the organizations are lacking. Um, it has been my experience that operationally varying security standards um, are implemented on a day-to-day -day basis. They are doing them. They are implementing complex passwords. They are monitoring the network, antivirus scans. It is happening. It's just not documented. Um, so I believe that ChatGPT will be um, instrumental in creating such, you know, documentations for those efforts. As far as for NIST, Absolutely, because you can ask ChatGPT anything. Um, and as you know, NIST, you know, they have a different subject matter expertise um, to cover all of those controls. So privacy analysts, educators. So, um, you know, when they put, you know, the um, NIST 800, and I'm going to speak to 853 specifically, because I know that, you know, we have the NIST cybersecurity framework, but my extensive experiences with NIST 853, you know, there are a gamut um, of different um, SME subject matter expertise that they utilize to put that information together. So again, will ChatGBT replace their subject matter expertise? No, I just feel like it'll continue to enhance. Well, that's interesting. So, uh, so now kind of going down a different role, being that we're talking about cybersecurity training, what is your what are you doing with your employees and what is your policy, you know, with social media and what they are doing while they're working and the, you know, employees that might be on TikTok at work, you know, what are your thoughts about social media and what are your policies at the E at the CEO? What are your policies about social media? Yes. Um, so <laughs> Oh my goodness. I, I, I feel like there, there needs to be a, a new term for limited personal use or very limited <laughs> personal use. Um, so we do have a very limited personal use um, policy, um, you know, at our organization. And, you know, and I've seen this across other organizations, but again, coming from a government background, yeah, the government, they were not playing that. Um, but, you know, LinkedIn, you know, and, and just like you said, now we haven't really had an issue with um, TikTok. So it's mostly been um, LinkedIn, you know, um, that people want to stay connected and, you know, all that good stuff. And then on the corporate side, we also have LinkedIn learning. Um, so, yeah, so we do have those policies. Um, we implement corporate device, you know, only utilizing corporate device only no personal devices on our um, infrastructure, you know, again, just to ensure, you know, that we keep cybersecurity resilience in our organization. Um, yes, we have varying monitoring tools, you know, yes, we have different um, security compliance program in place to ensure that we're consistently on guard. Um, but at the most basic level, the more that we train and educate um, our staff and our organization, the better we'll be security-wise. Just a quick uh, correction, uh, Stan Molinsky and also Megan on my back and uh, told us we're wrong about that. Uh, Chat GPT and Al Chatbot was developed by OpenAI and released last November. So I I am not educated at all on Chat GPT. That's why I love you know for even our our 
listeners out there, um, thanks for your input on that stand because again, it's it's you know it it hasn't been around that long, so it is a it's a very uh, definitely interesting topic to chat about. But going back to uh, TikTok and is the Center of Employment Opportunity is that a government owned company? Is that owned by we're nonprofit? No, okay. we're nonprofit. Okay, so if you're working for the government, you're not sitting around on t TikTok all day, I imagine. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I was in the Navy for, you know, six years back then. We didn't have social media. We didn't even have cell phones. So <laughs> there was nothing to do but work back then. You know, <laughs> I was going to say, when I was in the government as a contractor, TikTok didn't exist. But I, I can imagine, though, if you're stepping out, you know, you know, lunchtime or, you know, a break, you know, you can, you know, obviously take your personal phone and do what you need to do. But yeah, within... Um, the, the corporate systems or the government systems, absolutely not. How do you know, though? How do you know that your employee, first of all, are most of your employees on site at, since COVID or do you still have a lot of remote workers? Yes, no, we have, um, so I would say we're half and half. So we do have in office and remote, half, yeah, half and half. So how do you know that an employee is not sitting there you know, working on their laptop, but they have their AirPods in and they're not listening to a podcast on YouTube, you know, about Vanderpump Rules, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what do you know about Vanderpump Rules, Kim? <laughs> Unfortunately, way too much. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, that is, that is a very good question, Kim. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the... Um, I would say one of the challenges, right, um, of remote working. You know, we just, we just this is where trust comes into play. This is where monitoring, you know, their day-to-day -day work. You know, so of course, you know, we have, you know, different teams have their their status updates, their project that they're working on, their timeline. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is I can't give you a straight answer because everybody does what they want to do, especially in, in a remote environment. But I feel like with the other factors we have in place of, you know, their work that they're doing, the quality of their deliverables, um, you know, I feel like it, it would probably be OK with that. Yeah, it's just we we live in a new time and you yeah. know, it's it's hard, you know, it is about trust, you know. I my entire team is a very young team and but I have an awesome team and we're all remote, but we can't get our jobs done if everybody's not doing their job. So, Correct. you know, so that that's, you know, everyone, you know, I would think but I'm a smaller company, so I I rely on everyone that does their job. You know, we're not going to have a great event if everyone's not doing their job. So how do you how do you develop that in a larger company where you are all across you know the United States with several different offices? Yes. So I I will say that CEO specifically they implement phenomenal, and I I don't even know how to to to, to call it status updates, meetings. We have our weekly touch touch points. That's what I was looking for. Um, we have our weekly touch points. We have our off touch. So in addition to the regular touch points, you have your, oh, let me just ping, you know, and I'll use myself as, as an example. Let me just ping Delia and see what's going on. You know, let me get a status update. I know I, I know I touch base with her every week, but let me just see what she's doing. Let's see if there's any progress in a specific initiative. So I will have to say we heavily rely on the um, the leadership team or the management team 
of varying staff. Um, yeah, because just like you said, we are a larger organization, but that trust, you know, has to be built in. So we trust you until, you know, you show us otherwise. And like I said, we lean in on our senior leadership, you know, team and our senior management team for that. It's so funny. You know, we talk about trust and it's, it's, oh, we may have lost Deli altogether. Um, but hopefully she'll be back. Oh, she's back. Um, we talk about trust and it's so funny because we are an industry that's so, you know, talks about zero trust all the time, but yet we are forced, we have to trust, you know, our teams and the people that work for us until they, until we can't, until, you know, they prove us wrong. So, um, correct. You know, how many, so do you, how many, like give us roughly how many employees do you have at, uh, CEO? About 650. Okay. That's, that's a really large, you know, organization with only, what'd you say? 15 people on your security team? Yes. Wow. So what is your, where are, what next? Like what are some of the projects that you're trying to work on right now to improve your security posture and what kind of tips can you give um, our listeners on some of the successes that you've seen? Absolutely. Um, so I would definitely, I would definitely have to say, um, at a very high level, implementing um, a cybersecurity program. So our CIO has a ph- phenomenal vision, um, and we are. Um, progressing towards aligning to the NIST cybersecurity framework. You know, and it's so interesting because when I bring up, you know, frameworks and compliance and cybersecurity resilience, I have a lot of my practitioners out there who are just like, oh my gosh, that is just another, check the box, check the box, check the box. Well, I mean, yes. However, you have to start from somewhere. Um, I've noticed a lot of different industries, um, you know, they want to start a security program. They want to begin a robust compliance program and they just don't know where to start. So instead of starting something, anything, they're just like, oh, that's okay. You know, I, I mean, we'll be fine. We have not been hacked. We're good. And I'm just like, no, um, you know, this is why the importance of training, number one, is very important. Um, and implementing um, a cybersecurity framework for your organization is also very important. Um, the framework, even though there are security controls that are that you can utilize to audit your organization, you also use those same set of controls to build your cybersecurity program. So we're talking access control, physical access control. Um, You know, we're talking contingency planning. What happens if your system were to go down? Do you use a vendor? What happens if if the system that your vendor operates goes down? You know, who do you contact? Do you have an automated tool to track these? So yes, there are a set of controls and yes, there are checkbox, but once you check them off, you'll, you know, you'll be in good standing. So what are you, what kind of training are you doing in, with um, phishing attacks and training your employees? Because I just, um, interesting this week while I was traveling to Omaha, Southwest had a big, um, this doesn't have anything to do with the phishing attack, but it comes after they had a big data. I don't know. It was all over the country. They, they, of course, were saying it was a crude thing. And then I got an email like two days later apologizing for their data that went down for um, hours on Tuesday. But, you know, then I got some pretty suspicious emails from Southwest that I wasn't sure 
if they were Southwest. So somebody also took the opportunity to turn those into phishing emails. So how are you um, staying ahead of that? Yeah. Um, so pretty much um, that that gets addressed um, during our annual. So we, we have two sets of security training, um, annual security training. So we have our very first one, which I lead, you know, over Zoom because, you know, we're across the country, um, you know, where we teach them about, you know, social and social engineering, phishing, you know, um, don't just click on a random, you know, link. Did you get a suspicious email from somebody that you thought was your boss? Well, pick up the phone. So we train them. So that's the first part, um, you know, and then um, through that education, then we also have other um, security awareness training. In a, so I do the live one and then we have one that we use a, a learning management platform where we just reinforce what you've learned, you know, change your passwords. You know, if you're unsure about an email that you received, it's okay. Pick up the phone and call ping. You know, we have multiple <laughs> collaboration platforms. Don't be scared to pick up the phone and call to confirm. So we're addressing that through that. So, you know, phishing exercises. And of course, um, after we do the specific trainings, we also do tests, you know, just to ensure that, you know, they were paying attention during the trainings. And, you know, so we just give them a, a short quiz at the end. And we feel like that has been effective thus far. When we were um, during COVID, I had a lot of um, CISOs. I, we were doing these bourbon happy hours that sponsors were sponsoring. And it was a virtual thing. And it was a really fun time for those two years to get all these, you know, 12 CISOs together. And it was not, it, we would just talk about scenarios and, you know, things that were, you know, what they were doing. And some, one of the CISOs from one of the larger financial institutions, they would do cybersecurity every quarter, you know, they do training and, you know, if people pass, like they would always give away, they, they had the funds to be able to do this, you know, but they would reward, you know, the people that passed the test that didn't open, you know, the phishing attacks that they would, you know, send out to their employees to see if they would not open it. So, I, so people, he said that, you know, people got excited for cybersecurity training because now people <laughs> had the opportunity to actually win something and it was, you know, it, it was something different. But I could see if I wasn't in the industry, you know, what I got from Southwest the other day because they said they were giving vouchers away because of this. And, you know, one of these emails said, you know, attached is your voucher. Well, I knew I already got it at the airport, but I wonder how many people opened that thinking, oh, they made a mistake and I'm going to get a different, you know, I'm going to get another voucher. And if you looked at the URL, it wasn't Southwest, but I'm sure a lot of people were fooled with that. A lot of people probably opened that attachment. So how do Understood. we get around yeah. that? You know, how, how do we continue to, you know, put that message out there? You know, you got to look at the URL and see. You know, I still yeah. have an email in my inbox right now. I'm very confused if it's really from Microsoft and it says Microsoft, but it doesn't make sense to me about something about my password. So I just yeah. haven't had time to, you know, really look at it because my inbox is insane. But, but yeah. again, I, I'm knowledgeable about it. So how do we continue to create that training with the people that aren't in the security industry to watch out for these emails? So again, just create that training, um, you know, came up, you know, I've stated like we have documentation, we, you know, we've documented it. We have an information, you know, security policy and procedures. So it's, it tells you this is, you know, look out for this. Don't click on that. If you're unsure, you know, 
But sometimes a lot of people don't read those documented, you know, um, um, steps or procedures or strategies. So training is essential. So the quarterly training you mentioned about the previous organizations, fantastic. You know, um, training, training, <laughs> training. I know it sounds simple, but, you know, there used to be that ad um, in the 90s. It's called the more, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's 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 all we can do for now. And And I will say. At a global scale, you know, I'm very proud of how far our industry has come because you look at YouTube and there's different security awareness training, you know, basic security awareness training. You know, you can search different webinars. I've I've gone out to, you know, because we use a, a couple of vendors, I've gone out to their websites and they have webinars and, you know, PowerPoint presentations and white papers like, you know, so if you want that information, it is out there for you to find. It is. And, you know, one of the things since COVID and now that our events are in a hybrid mode, I mean, we get, you know, probably 200 people that watch our events virtually and we have events every other week and people, I'm shocked at how many people are tuning in virtually, which is great. And they love it that we are giving them because not everybody, it's not even about COVID anymore. You know, we are getting great turnout because you have the people that love to go to in-person events, but then you have the people that just don't have the time. I mean, right. they are on a security team and they need the training, but they can't afford to leave the facility. So they love that we do give them the opportunity and that that is the time where they can listen to our speakers and still multitask and do their work and still get their educational credits from our events. So yeah, we, we have, I do believe since COVID, I do believe that we have opened up a window for more virtual opportunities for people to educate themselves. Again, I think it is just the rest of the non-security people, the people that just go to work every day to you know, there's a lot of people that just go to work to get a paycheck and, you know, that they don't care. So I, you know, I, I feel like I feel for the security teams of how are you ever going to change? You know, we always say the biggest um, problem is humans, you know, so yep. when, when is that? not going to be a problem probably never and never. what what do you do about those people are you are you what is your strategy if somebody keeps clicking you know on something and and do are are you firing them or are you taking them aside and trying to train them what is your policy for the people yes. that won't comply yes so i remember um the CISO of Xerox. And I think that was Dr. J. So I'm assuming. Yeah, it was. It was. Okay. Yep. Yes. So I remember sitting, you know, because she spoke and I remember her saying that as, as Xerox, they had a, a policy of if you, you know, click, you know, uh, if you get caught, you know, with the phishing attempts uh, three times in a row, you get fired. Um, you know, but but I sat there and I'm thinking to myself, well, Again, it's it's always my premise that people just don't know. Like you tell them, they, they, it goes over their head, they read it, they don't know what they read, they can't understand. Um, so I just feel like, you know, that's how we have metrics. That's why we have metrics into play. So, you know, if we have, you know, a, a, a staff who just doesn't seem to be paying attention, right? Because I'm at the utmost of belief that somebody just doesn't want to go to work to get fired. Like, I don't think somebody would be like, oh, I have my job. I love it. It pays my bills. Let me just go and just do wrong. You know, I, I, I honestly don't think a lot of people are like that. So if we see a repeat offender, 
you know, it is my belief to, you know, pull them to the side and maybe they just need their own security awareness training, <laughs> you know. Um, in the past, I've actually, I've, I've done two sets of trainings for five specific individuals. So the first training was a live training and it was very interactive. So I would say something and then I'll have them, you know, repeat after me. A question was, <laughs> believe this, an article you know, based on whatever specific security um, incident that they, you know, were, were just not understanding. They will read that article and then I would have them give me a 20 sentence, you know, write up on what they learned. And Kim, when I tell you, when they do this write up, they come back to me like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know. That was such a phenomenal read. I didn't even know. And I'm just like, mm -hmm, mm. and mind you, I've been teaching this. <laughs> We've been teaching this. It's documented. But because they get that, I guess, one-on-one -on -one specific attention and you, you're focusing on them like, okay, give me your... They're just... And I'm like, I just didn't even know that if you have just a simple password, it can be easily breached. Dictionary words. We should not... And I'm just like, mm, okay. And from then on, we have not seen you know them being a repeat offender. So, you know, I will always say training does it, you know, look at those metrics, you know, if there's a person that's just, you know, not because, you know, there are times where you have automated training programs, not everybody can afford to do live training programs, you do have, auto, you know, learning platforms, they go on, they take the training, you know, there's some, I've, I've been in organizations where some staff just will not complete that training. Well, guess what, they're not going to have access to their system until they complete that journey. So, you know, it's like we have, we just have to guide them by the hand, you know. Yeah, and I guess we have yeah. come a long way where, you know, you do have the power to not give them access, you know, especially if they are on a uh, company laptop, you know, that you have to be on your VPN. I, I would assume that's what you guys are doing. Yes. So, I mean, that at least, you know, it's you're, you're that that's one step further than, you know, what it probably was, you know, 15 years ago. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and, and do you feel like that happened more that people started creating their own VPNs? I, and the government probably always has, you know, like, because even back in when I was in the military, I don't you know, remember what it was. There was barely computers, but there was still, you know, you were still in some sort of, you know, in the military network. So do right. you feel like since COVID that companies have created more security on their own VPNs? I mean, they were kind of forced yeah. to, don't you think? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, Kim. Because as you know, you know, yes, um, you know, with COVID, of course, a lot of us who are more extrovert got bored sitting at home. You know, so we wanted to go to Starbucks and log in and do work there. We wanted to, you know, when we're at the, you know, airport and we're traveling, we wanted to get a little bit of work there and we have, oh my goodness, we got free Wi-Fi, you know, and we all know free Wi-Fi, that's no, it's that's not it. We can't use free Wi-Fi to access our infrastructure. That's a no thank you. So, yes. So when you're at the airport. Has, you know, to, yeah. yeah to, so so when you're at the airport, don't click on that free Wi-Fi. So you you would say pay for that. Do you really think there's a difference from the one that's free or you can, for 30 minutes, pay $5 for the next tier up? <laughs> so, I wouldn't suggest to purchase or use the free Wi-Fi at the airport. 
<laughs> they say what? that next tier up supposed to keep you secure. So <laughs> no, what I would say, you know, if I'm going to give real life um, basic examples is, you know, a lot of people, we have our corporate devices or your personal cell phone. Turn, turn off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know. Well, yeah, and we that's just... probably a whole nother topic and we're down to about three minutes left. And, um, it's, it's, you know, we're all busy and if you're traveling, you have to have Wi-Fi. you have to get your work done. So yes. that's a whole nother show that I, I think that, um, we could spend an hour talking about that. Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> but, um, so just, um, before we wrap up the show, you know, give us just a couple of tips for, you know, um, how our listeners, again, what you would suggest, what do you want to leave with them, the best things that they could do tomorrow to enhance their cybersecurity training in their organization? Absolutely. So I will make this quick, and I know it's going to sound simple, but please implement a security framework. Anyone will work. Um, so I say this because a security framework gives you that blueprint. And I'm going to say it over and over again. It tells you what policies you need to implement, which procedures, which controls you need to be implemented. Now, yes, I am in this 853 girl. That's very extensive and expansive. But if you are an organization that does not have a security program or a formal, right? Because we always have some kind of a security program. But if you lack a formal security program, feel free to start using with, you know, the smaller frameworks. So think ISO 27001, phenomenal. SOC 2, also another phenomenal. So if you wanted to start out small and then, you know, kind of grow into the, and again, I'm going to use the NIST cybersecurity framework as an example, do it. And the two that I just mentioned, you know, the ISO 27001 and the SOC 2, they talk about training. So, you know, we talked about training. They talk about, you know, implementing a security program. They talk about what different policies and procedures, should, you know, you should have. They talk about um, passwords. They talk about multi-factor. They also talk about contingency planning and incident response planning. So that's what I would like to leave with our viewers today. Well, that is amazing. Thank you, Dr. Deli Bancoli, the Director of IT yeah. Security at Center of Employment Opportunities. You can come see her at our Philadelphia event on May 6th. Thanks for being here, uh, Dr. Deli, and I'll see you soon. Nice. And um, again, thank you everyone for joining another episode of And Security for All. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. If you happen to be out at RSA next week, um, Try to look us up. We'll be having our bourbon uh, event next Wednesday night at the Chieftain Irish Pub out by the Moscone Center. Thanks, everyone. I hope everyone stays safe, stay secure, and I hope you get to enjoy this beautiful spring weather, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice American Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? 
FutureCon events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.